Okay, it's my privilege and pleasure to bring God's word today, and it's, I'm excited. I, I don't deny it because we are beginning a new series. We've been thinking about it for a while, and it's called the Jesus Stories. You know, uh, the last few weeks, in fact, much of this year, I have to say, has been really. Uh, you know, we've we've had a lot of challenges. We've been building and you know raising funds for next door and all that that entails and trying to up our game in so many different areas. And, and you know, uh, I have to say uh, that I am grateful to the team and I'm grateful to God because I do believe we've actually managed to stay focused on, uh, on, on Jesus. You know, he's the main thing. And it's, it is a huge drag and draw and, and, and distraction when you do capital campaigns. You know, you can just become totally overwhelmed with it all and taken up by it. But, but we've managed to maintain our composure in fact, if anything, we've grown in faith as we've dealt with challenges and prayed them through, and so I'm grateful for that. But I am somewhat relieved and excited that we can now start this series called The Jesus Stories, because I, 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 let it be known, let it be heard. You know, if you're visiting for the first time, let, let, take this one away with you, that this is a Jesus-centered church. We are all about Jesus. He is the reason why we do what we do. He is the reason why we take these absurd risks you know, why we, ch- we find ourselves challenged and, 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 and we, we keep stepping out in faith. And I have to say this, in 28 years of doing it here and 38 doing it elsewhere as well, and I have found God faithful. God is a faithful, he's a promise keeper. And although we've been really strung out there sometimes, feeling very vulnerable, very exposed as if everything should, could fall apart, you know, tomorrow, in fact, God has come through and, 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 you know, I'm grateful for where we are now. But now let it be said, now let us be totally focused on the person of Jesus. And we're going to be preaching this series up until the sort of Christmas uh, series, and so I'm excited about it. And uh, one of the things that I've wanted to do is, is just contextualize it. Basically, what we're going to be saying to the preaching team is, you know, you know, teach on one of the parables or a couple of the parables or, or, or one of the teachings or something like that, but let's just focus on Jesus. But I want to set the scene somewhat in, in my first two or three little preaches here because I want to, I want to position this, this whole series in one sense in exploring what the kingdom of God is. Exploring, you know, Jesus, it was the, the most important part of Jesus' message you know, the thing that he kept returning to when you read through the Gospels is the kingdom of God. You know, we could spend time going through that. I invite you to, in your, you know, in your devotions, just spend time seeing how often Jesus refers to the kingdom of God. And clearly, he saw himself as the one who was the bringer in of the kingdom of God. And so my, my little preach over these next two or three weeks is going to, I hope, help us position that. And I want to use Luke's gospel. Luke is commonly called the evangelist. So obviously that sits well with me. I'm a bit of an evangelist. It's always been a big passion of mine. And so Luke's gospel sits well with me. But many of you will know that Luke wrote not just the the account of Luke or the gospel of Luke, but he wrote the Acts of the Apostles. And by way of preamble, by way of positioning this, I want to, it's not even going to come up on the screen because I only thought about it this morning, really. I I just want to uh, use a little bit of the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles and uh, Luke's introduction to that to, 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 to help us to understand 
what Luke is trying to do in his gospel. You know, sometimes, you know, you might say, you know, you, you could almost imagine, you know, Mark having been written first, you know, uh, then it's argued as to who was written next, probably Luke, possibly Matthew, but you could almost hear people say, well, why do we need another gospel? Mark did a great job, didn't he? I thought it was a good job, didn't you? Yeah, so. Well, you know, Luke has a particular thing that he wants to draw on and, and, and emphasize. And anyway, at the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, he says this, in my former book, the book of Luke, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. This guy, Theophilus, we don't know a great deal about. He's not referenced elsewhere, but it appears that he was some wealthy and influential uh, influential uh, Gentile, uh, we don't even know he's a believer. Let's say, call him a believer for argument's sake. But certainly he was interested and curious about getting the facts as to this person, Jesus. And so Luke, for whatever reason, Luke the doctor, he was a physician, uh, Luke the doctor takes it upon himself to write an account for Theophilus. And he, he says, what he had set out to do in the former book. He says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, if you were part of our Alpha course, which we're running at the moment, and I think the first or second week I had the privilege of doing a little slot there, and I spoke about the person of Jesus. And you know, we can, we can agree straight off on certain elements, whether you're a believer or not. You know, Jesus is a historical figure. He's not some mythical character like a unicorn or something. He is a historical figure. How do we know that? We know that because of contemporary writings, non-Christian of the time. The historian, Jewish historian Josephus, really writing about the account of the Jews in, uh, in Palestine around that time, under the sort of, you know, the oppression of the Romans, refers to Jesus. And actually, not just in passing. He says, you know, Jesus, the miracle worker, the wonder worker, the one whom they say came alive again. So we, have a, we, we know that there is a historical person called Jesus. Nobody in their right mind these days will argue that, whether you're a believer or not believer. The second thing I think we can say about Jesus was that uh, he was and is a great teacher. You know, many people have... Uh, read and studied and appreciated the teachings of Jesus, even though they would not claim to be Christians. My own father-in-law, when he was at Cambridge studying mechanical engineering years and years and years and years ago, right at the beginning of his kind of career, he decided that when he started his business, which he ultimately did, he would adopt, as far as it was possible, the uh, values that were uh, implied and expressed in the Sermon on the Mount. Not because he was a Christian, but he thought that was a good way to live your life and, you know, to, to, to try and deal with people. And that was, you know, he became a Christian much later on. But I remember when we were, had become Christians and he was yet to become a Christian, he would say, well, I don't know what the problem is. I don't know why I've got to do anything. I've always lived my life according to Christian principles. In fact, I tried to, as far as I was able, build them into my company. So many people valued the teachings of Jesus. Gandhi, that great character, that great person, that liberator, if you will, of India, he said, if Christians could, could live out the gospel, well, then they would sweep the world. He, was a, he, he studied the Sermon on the Mount 
in great detail, with great interest. He was a lawyer, as you may know, before he became that, uh, the lawyer in South Africa, before he became that leader of the community in India. So many people have appreciated his teaching. And actually, and this is an interesting sort of development over the years, there is a great deal of interest and sometimes begrudging assent that it was clear he did some wonderful things. Other faiths refer to him as a healer, you know. And it's kind of, many people kind of, best they can do is, well, I don't know, but clearly something happened, but quite what it was, we don't know. Those three things, I think, we can all agree upon. And so what Luke is saying to Theophilus, he says, I'm doing that. I'm wanting to tell you what Jesus taught. I want to teach you what Jesus did. But he also goes a little further. He says, I want to teach you and tell you about why we as followers of Jesus believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Because that's the unique thing. We're not just some sort of commemorative society reveling in the teachings of a dead leader. As followers of Jesus the world over, we believe this unique thing. And that is this, that Jesus is alive. And not that just Jesus is alive, but that Jesus is Lord. He's alive and he's Lord over all. Would you mind saying with me, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And again, Jesus is Lord. And again, Jesus is Lord. Now, our prayer goal for this series Excuse me. Our prayer goal for this series is that, yes, that we'll give you good information, best we can muster, and that you'll maybe learn something new about Jesus if you've been a follower of Jesus for some time. But our prayer goal is this, that each and every one of us will have a fresh revelation, if you are a follower of Jesus, that Jesus is alive. That actually we're not just playing games on Sunday or or having some kind of reunion meeting, that Jesus is alive, and not just that, but that Jesus is Lord. You see, and without a revelation, without a profound understanding and a realization that Jesus is Lord, you can go about your life with, with your religion, if you like, in a top pocket. And we're trying, as we sang, we're, we're trying to abandon religion, leaving that behind. We want to embrace the living Lord God the faith in Jesus. You know, you can be a, a trader in the city and you might be sat here now and I'm not thinking of anyone in particular. You might be a trader in the city and, you know, yesterday you rushed around with the kids and did football and swimming and parties and all the rest of it and then Sunday morning it's church, it's all a big gallop and you get the kids ready and you come out here and this is what you do with your family and then Sunday afternoon you do whatever else. But on, you know, at 6.40 tomorrow morning you'll be on the train going up to the city and you leave all this behind with your dear wife and your kiddies and you go and, mix it, you go and fight, you go and trade, you do what you do up there in the city. You see, without Jesus being Lord in your life or an understanding of the Lordship of Christ, you can do that, you can compartmentalize. But what we're praying here is actually will become that church that Gandhi hoped for, that will become a church that really live out the gospel. Because if you can come to that place where armed with a bit of information, and much less than many people think you need, but more than that, with a revelation, 
the deep understanding that Jesus is alive now. And what's more, he's Lord of everything. You will carry that with you on the 640 up to the city. You'll carry that with you knowing that, yeah, you didn't leave Jesus you know, in the vineyard in St. Albans. Jesus is Lord over all. And that will inform and that will infuse and that will help direct everything you do, every deal you do, every conversation you have at the school gate, every bit of banter in the university you know, bar or whatever. It will infuse and inform everything because you will understand at a deep and a profound level that we live and move and have our being under the gaze and lordship of Christ. Amen. Amen. Let me just pray. That's by way of an introduction. Good grief. I'm not going to get through all my notes today, that's for sure. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, we set out a stall and this is what we want to do. Uh, we've always said we just don't want to pr- play at religion. We've no interest in it. We've no time for it. We want to embrace the simple gospel and the lordship of Jesus Christ. We want to live and know and have our being in him, under his gaze and under his lordship. And Lord God, we want and invite you to change us. Wherever we are on our spiritual journey, maybe it's just beginning, maybe we've been Christians for many, many years. We've just got a little stale and a little tired and a little complacent. Lord, we give you permission not just to comfort us, but to unsettle us so that we find ourselves struggling and gasping for more light and air. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, right. So, now to the sermon. Good grief. Um, So the Jesus stories then. We're going to start with Luke chapter 4. And many of you, I hope, will be familiar with this passage. If not, no matter. I'm going to introduce you to it. And Luke chapter, chapter 4, Jesus has just been baptized. He's obviously been born. There's lovely stories of the nativity in Luke's gospel. And then he goes to be baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. And he goes into the desert to be tempted. I'm just going to have a little cough here, excuse me. And then he comes out of the desert, and this is where we pick up the story. Luke chapter 4, verse 14, and I think it'll come up on the screen. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. And he was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. And he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You can imagine the silence that fell because every eye was on him. There was something about the way 
he read that, you could have heard a pin drop. A pin drop. Now Luke, in all of this, he's actually drawing us, the reader, and Theophilus, the original sort of patron of this, this gospel, in on a journey. He's actually told him what the journey's about, but actually there is a subtext. And what he wants us, the reader, to do, and what he wanted Theophilus to do, was to ask the question, who is this Jesus? Yeah, we know teacher, yeah, we know historical figure, yeah, prophet even, healer, yeah, whatever. And so what he does in much of his gospel is he takes us on a journey where our real, our, you know, we start by just hearing him speak. My, he read well, didn't he? But then we go on this journey and the question that is being asked and what he's trying to draw out of the reader is this question, who is Jesus really? Really? So here we start with Jesus' manifesto. You know, the, we've often called it a manifesto. It's, you know, politicians have a manifesto and this is what we're going to do. You know, we're perhaps watching the Trump-Clinton thing and trying to understand what they're trying to do. You know, that's another story. But anyway, in this... Jesus reads this awesome passage out of Isaiah, but then he tops it by saying, you, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And what the reader begins to realize as we go on, although it's not explicit yet, is that Jesus is not only the messenger, but he's the message. He actually is the message himself. Now, time, you know, as time will go by, people will ask him, are you the Messiah, who was both messenger and message? Are you the anointed one? And that will become clear later on. And yes, he is, just to sort of spoil the suspense thing. But he's the, the messenger and the message. And what Luke then systematically begins to do is begins to demonstrate, model, and tell stories that convey to us that Jesus is Lord. I said that, you know, that was what we're trying to do here. And he's Lord over every aspect of life. And he begins with Lord over evil. Lord over evil. Now, I don't want to be patronizing or condescending by saying that, you know, every primitive society is, uh, you know, has a fear and an anxiety about evil. Because quite frankly, my experience as a pastor for nearly 40 years now, not just 28 here, but nearly 40 years until, is that actually a lot of people are spooked by evil things. I mean, ordinary, sensible, rational guardian readers, you know, it's extraordinary what spooks and freaks them out, you know. We have this, we're kind of wired, you know, for, for that which is, you know, dark and malevolent, we have a kind of a, an awareness of that. So I'm not going to say it was just something that happened in ancient days. It's prevalent now. I mean, I could tell you stories. I mean, we have, without any exaggeration, the staff in this church fairly regularly go and pray in houses in St. Albans because there's poltergeists and stuff going on like that. I kid you not. And these people might be city traders on the 640, but you know, 
What, who, do they, who do they ring when there's a problem? They ring me and I tell Dennis to go. <laughs> uh, Dennis, another one for you, mate. Honestly. <laughs> we don't like it. It freaks us out. So Luke goes to the, for the jugular. Let's deal with that one. Let's deal with the bogeyman. Let's deal with that. Jesus is Lord over evil. And so the next story we have Jesus engaging in is in Luke 4, same chapter, beginning at verse 31. It says, Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. And they were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. There was this other thing that we've already referenced. There was something about Jesus. He wasn't just one of the scribes or the Pharisees or the teachers of the law just reciting by rote some well-worn, well-known passage of Scripture. There was something about Jesus that when he spoke, you listened because it felt like he knew what he was talking about. So he's, he's reading, you know, he's teaching. And in 33, verse 33, it says, In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. And he cried out at the top of his voice, Go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. And all the people were amazed. And they said to each other, what words are these? With authority and power. You know, the scribes, the Pharisees had authority, but they didn't have any power. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Who is Jesus? Jesus is Lord over evil. Now, actually, the, 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 the rabbis in those days earned a little pin money by casting out demons. You could go to the rabbi, and the way they earned some pin, they, they, they would do an exorcism. And the way they did this, they repeated for sometimes hours the names of Yahweh over the afflicted person. And finally, when the demon got bored, fed up, or could stand it no more, just left. But it was a very long, drawn-out affair. Phew. Jesus said, shut up, get out. The demon left. Or demons left. What's more, what is interesting about this, this is a little side. What do the demons say? In terror when they see Jesus. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Who wants to earn a brownie point here? Vineyard sort of basic teaching. 1 John 3, verse 8b. I'll tell you. I'll earn the brownie point. The reason the Son of God came was to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, verse 8, B. So the answer to that question the demon asks is, yes, shut up and get out. And it goes. 
Jesus has come to undo the works of the enemy. Ultimately on the cross. Ultimately to die for the sins of the world, your sins and mine, so that we can come home to the Father, be welcomed as sons and not enemies. Jesus is Lord over evil. Now in the next two or three weeks, we're gonna look at a whole host, I'll do one more before we finish. Lord over sickness, Lord over creation, you know, Lord over death. Boy, I'm looking forward to that one. But Jesus is Lord over all that is unseen as well as that which is seen. That may comfort some of you this morning. Okay, let's, uh, let's just do one more. I've, I've got a few more here, but I'm not going to have time. But that doesn't matter. I'm going to preach the next two or three weeks, so please don't miss a week. Uh, Jesus is Lord over sickness. Let's look at that one. And, it's, and, and you can see how Luke is unfolding this thing. I love this little passage, actually. It's, it's an interesting one, too. Luke chapter 4, verse 38. Lord over sickness. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And she got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one of them, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of the many people, shouting, "'You are the Son of God!' But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. It was not his time. Two or three things of interest there, and then we'll do do a little ministry before we finish. First off, this this word, and I, you know, I I don't, you know, Dennis loves it a bit more than I, but I, I don't do it so much. I don't really like going back into the ancient Greek. Let's make, let's have the plain sense of it today. But it's worth it with this because. That word rebuked, where it says Jesus rebuked the fever, that is the same Greek verb as he uses when he rebukes the demon. It's the same Greek verb when he rebukes, and some of you will know the story, the storm. He could have used many different words, but there's a sense of, he says, stop it. He says, stop it to the demon. He says to this fever, stop it. He says to that storm, stop it. And the result is the same, it stops. Now that's not to say, please hear me out here. Excuse me. It's not. It's not to say that every sickness is demonically inspired. It, It simply isn't. We're living in a fallen and broken world. And we are subject to the fallen brokenness of that. But praise God for Jesus because he has the victory. But the truth of the matter is that we are in a battle. We are in the battle, and there are demonic forces at work. And Jesus sees in this person, in in, uh, Peter's mother-in-law, someone who is actually suffering from a demonic demonic attack. And it's interesting because he rebukes her, and she gets up and begins to wait on them. She begins to serve them. It's not like, oh, gosh, you've been really really poorly, so... You just sit there in the sun and we'll bring you a cup of tea. You need a few days just to get sorted out. You know, I mean, that's normal and natural. That's the body healing itself. That's what God has provided. It's, she's up and she's serving. Bish, bash, bosh, the demon is dealt with. And immediately Peter's mother serves. So that's an, an interesting little thing there. But what I also love about this passage, at sunset, people brought to Jesus all kinds of people who were sick. 
Now, when you read through the Gospels, by and large, you will see and you will notice that Jesus is actually quite strategic in the way he goes about his healing ministry. Uh, there have been a number of conversations and you know, people have wondered why that was. I mean, here he heals everybody that comes. But it's almost unique in the scriptures. I, in fact, I can't think of another time. Can you think of another time, guys? Where he heals everybody, all and every. No, I think this is the only occasion. Come back to that in a moment. I'm not finished with that point. But Jesus is strategic. You know, he'll, he'll, he'll walk through the, you know, the, the, the hospital or the, the convalescent home around the pool of Siloam. And he steps over sick people. Probably steps over sick children to get to one man. And speak healing to him. And often when he healed people, he would say, look, now, don't make a big song and dance about it, please. Just, just quietly go to the priest and you know, present yourself to them and so they'd be you know, allowed to come back into the community. And sometimes they did and sometimes they didn't. But every time Jesus is, he healed someone, there was, there was a cost. And the cost was often that the crowds just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And Jesus would often try and bypass them to some degree or by some device because he said, I need to preach in the other villages. I, I've got to get out of this place so I can get to that place. And sometimes his compassion got the better of him. On one occasion, he says to exhaust, his exhausted crew, the disciples said, guys, you're absolutely wiped. Frankly, I am as well. Let's just get in the boat. Let's, take a, let's hightail it to the other side of the lake. We'll take a few days R&R &R, and then we'll get back into it, okay? So they all get in the boat thinking they're gonna go on holiday. But as they go, the crowds, somebody in the crowd sees Jesus leave, and they suddenly they become aware of this kind of little kind of line of looks like ants running around the Sea of Galilee, and it's the crowds tracking them round, and half the half the disciples are saying, "Row faster, row faster, quick, quick, quick," and the other half are saying, "Oh my gosh!" And then Jesus sees it, and that's it. <laughs> Stomach churns. He says, oh, "Guys, I'm so sorry." I'm sorry, they're just like sheep without a shepherd. I, I'm sorry, guys, I wanted to, you know, but listen, let's just pull over there. I, I'm gonna, I, I've got to just, just, just a few words, just, that's all, just a few words. You know, and hours later, Jesus is still preaching. The crowds were a problem for him. So one, and I think it has value, one reason why he was strategic was just because, quite frankly, if, if they just wanted Jesus the healer, he was so much more than that. And his mission was so much more than Jesus, the healer. So, so here we have it. Demons fly out. They're saying, you're the son of God. And he rebuked them. He would say, shush, be quiet. Just go, just go. But we're beginning to see Luke building this picture of who Jesus is. And curiously, at this stage, he's got the uh, demons saying, you're the son of God. You're the son of God. But at this stage, we're still guessing. And Jesus is keeping mum. But we're being drawn into this consideration of who Jesus is.